Good morning. Happy Independence Day weekend. Thursday evening at our first Thursday discussion and tea, I asked who was going to be here today, and quite a few more people than I expected put their hands up. And then I thought, well, I guess I'll have to give a talk then. So I asked them what they wanted to hear. And somebody said, independence is the topic of your talk. I always talk on that topic. <laughs> is there any Tesho that isn't about independence? But in honor of our country's battle for freedom and successful revolution. At this, you should have a big question mark in your mind. <laughs> Ongoing struggle to realize the vision of our country's founders for all humans. This ongoing struggle is really quite dependent upon our practice. And our practice of Zazen, of Buddhism, is all about interdependence, right? So we have this country founded with the principles of independence, true democracy, that is really still not, not, not yet, right? Not yet. Even though everyone can vote now, what is the real understanding in America these days about democracy, about freedom. Anywhere you go, typical conversations revolve around our basic addictions, not freedom. You know, Janis Joplin really understood Rinzai when she said, freedom's just another word for nothing left to do. Rinzai's wonderful expression, buji, do nothing, add nothing, depend on nothing, realize this is it. This freedom is right here, right now. But when we hear the typical conversation around us, it's not at all based on this kind of understanding, is it? When we listen to what's going on in our own minds, someone said to me the other day, why do I feel such 
uh, entanglement, such a reactivity when someone is angry at me. And I know that this anger is based on a faulty assumption. This anger is based on this person's wrong-headed view of my action. My action was impeccable. This person didn't understand and is blaming me. How many of you have often felt that way? How could it be that this opponent, if you will, doesn't get it, doesn't see how just blameless and correct your view is? In Tibetan Buddhism, they have a saying, the precious enemy. The enemy, so-called enemy, the person who has berated you or castigated you unfairly or is out to get you in some way in your perception, is your best teacher. Why? In Bodhisattva's vow, we say, if by chance they should turn against us and abuse and persecute us, we should bow down with humble words. This should makes it sound kind of moralistic or preachy. But take away that moralistic preachy aspect and see it as a kind of natural thing, like the form of no form is form. The thought of no thought is thought. See it that way. Then we can truly bow down with humble words. The enemy is my precious teacher. Because they are the merciful avatars of Buddha. This merciful avatar of Buddha, all right, someone who seems to be giving you a lot of trouble and making your life unpleasant, is the merciful avatar of Buddha. Why? Because this person has triggered something in you that can emancipate you from your own ignorance. Produced and accumulated by what? Egoistic delusion and attachment. This has no S on the end. Okay. Delusion and attachment. It encompasses everything. We don't need to add an S, okay? Delusion and attachment through the countless cycles of kalpa. This is just the natural understanding. It's not something that is moralistic. It's something true understanding can show us. So we have to say this. We chant this. 
to remind ourselves, oh, this enemy is most precious. This thing I don't like in my life may not say, oh, enemy. It may just be irritation. Someone who, whose anger makes you upset because it's so wrong. Immediately you have slid into this categorization, right, of me right, him wrong. Obviously you don't say it that way, but that's what's going on. And therefore, can't learn from someone who doesn't get it, right? Can't learn from someone who is seriously remiss in understanding your pure motivation. On the contrary, that's the person you can learn from the most. Why? The people who are around you who say, oh, you're so, you're so kind and you're so compassionate and you really, you did the right thing and that person was just really not getting it and don't worry, dear, it's okay. Is that your best friend? When you hear something like that, what happens? You feel vindicated. You are, your perception of the other as other is vindicated. Your perception that the other is harmful to you is vindicated. And so, you don't see this other as an avatar of Buddha, yourself. You yourself, no self, no other, just Buddha operating in this pure land that we cannot be away from, always here. So it's easy to miss, you know, we are all subject to the grip of self-deception. It's easy to miss our own egoistic delusion and attachment. It's much easier to point a finger of blame. In Gelek Rinpoche's wonderful book called Good Life, Good Death, many of you heard him speak here, um, and on this topic particularly, He says, human beings have a natural instinct for permanence and the ego sees me as independent. It sees a table as independent. It wants to experience everything as unchanging. We don't need Einstein to tell us it isn't so. Because we're born, we die. Because something comes into being, it will disintegrate and change form. Light changes to dark, night to day, and subatomic particles dance in empty space and cannot be measured or fixed in either time or space. Einstein's equation E equals mc squared proves that matter and energy are conserved. When an atomic bomb is detonated, matter and energy are converted into each other but not destroyed. One thing is left out of this equation, though. The universe is not made of just matter and energy. It is made of matter, energy, and consciousness. Consciousness cannot become non-consciousness. 
It changes form, but it continues. And then he speaks about about the enemy, not the precious enemy that I was speaking about earlier, but really noticing what goes on when you have this kind of rage at being falsely accused. When you don't see that person who is falsely accusing you or uh, abusing you in that way of being, when you don't see that person as an avatar of Buddha. He says, finding the enemy and kicking it out is not that easy. It's harder than dealing with anger or attachment because we think the ego is us. How do you spot it? How do you notice when you're getting hooked into thinking that the ego is you? His advice is, wait for someone to insult you. (laughs) Wait for your pride to be hurt. Wait until someone accuses you of something you didn't do. So speaking about independence and interdependence and Buddhist understanding of independence based on interdependence brings us to the very important teaching of Buddhism that in uh, Sanskrit is pratitya samutpada or dependent co-arising. Some of you know, have read have studied this middle way. Madhyamika teaching of dependent co-arising. And I was thinking about it, not only because you asked me to speak about independence, but because someone else had written an email to me and spoke about her feeling that she is plagued by the need to show herself as good enough already. Good enough already. And is always being threatened by people who criticize her and feeling that she should be better than she is when she hears their criticism. And then feeling, can't I just be seen as good enough, comma, already, already good enough? What is it to feel that we are good enough? What does that depend on? See, everything depends on something. Having this feeling of not being good enough already, what does that depend on? What creates that? Wanting to be seen as good enough already, the fact that you need to be seen that way illustrates this lack, right? This basic lack of feeling good enough. So I was reading uh, passages on dependent co-arising by Joanna Macy. And she was writing about dependent co-arising in terms of moral behavior. 
And she said, according to Western religious thought, ethical values derive from divine commandment. That's familiar, right? Divine commandment. If you follow divine commandment, you will have an ethical life. That's Western understanding of where we get moral behavior. A supernatural source is necessary to provide moral sanction. Without the ontological security of belief in an absolute, everything seems awash with no clear guidelines and it's every man for himself. And that's often the way it's written about when you read someone who says, well, I don't really believe in anything. And then what? Sort of this feeling of, being awash. So secular humanism is certainly not being awash. It's some, somehow creating something which is perhaps closer to Buddhism and saying it's not necessary for a supernatural source to create morality, to give guidelines. Nevertheless, this assumption, she says, is so pervasive in the West that many noted scholars judged Buddhism's moral teachings to be weak since they do not issue from belief in any god. Maybe some of you have experienced this in talking from a Buddhist perspective in an interfaith setting. Anybody? Some of us have. The Pope certainly spoke to that, right? Maybe you don't remember, but he did. It is true that the way the Buddha taught is freed from the necessity to believe in any supernatural authority. Indeed, when he was asked by what authority he spoke, he cited again and again the law of dependent co-arising, not any entity ruling our world, but the dynamics at work within our world. He cited the interdependence of all phenomena. What did he mean by that? As you know, when the Buddha gave his first sermon, he spoke about suffering. And tr tracing the sources of suffering, why? Do people suffer? He did not find a first cause or prime mover, but beheld instead patterns or circuits of contingency. The factors were sustained by their own interdependence. So we can look at that in our own lives. Something happens. Someone says something. We react. Then what? Hmm? They, react. they react. Then what? We react again. Then what? Endless. Not only that particular person, but what happens? Poisons. Hmm? Poisons everything around you. Chain reaction is another, right? Atomic energy, chain reaction. Chain reaction. This is really what is understood when we have insight into suffering. This chain reaction. 
There's no end to it. This is what we mean by kapas. Kapas, the countless cycle of cycles of kapa. Our own egoistic illusion and attachment through the countless cycles of kapa. It's not like you can do one thing or react you know, in this inappropriate way. In your mind it's appropriate, but in any case, you find out because of what happens next that maybe you didn't really need to be uh, that hostile, let's say. Maybe you could have seen it perhaps slightly from that person's view. You know, this whole thing is set up because we think we are separate. We are independent. This sense of our own inviolable independence in this ignorant way, ignorant understanding of independence, is what causes suffering. Things do not produce each other or make each other happen, as in linear causality. They help each other happen. This is Joanna Macy. By providing occasion or locus or context. And in so doing, they are in turn affected. There is a mutuality here, a reciprocal dynamic. When we start seeing that, it's not a matter of morality that we should bow down with humble words. We do. We do acknowledge this mutuality, this reciprocal dynamic. What about when we haven't really seen this clearly? What about when we are thrown by someone's remark, when we are plunged into depression by someone's hostility. We don't know how to work with it. What about when we have years and years and years of abusive relationships? One seems to call forth the next. Well, you know, This practice, this is practice in seeing clearly. We call this Zen practice. This is what we mean. It is practice, just like practicing a tennis serve. How many of you saw those sisters? Pretty amazing, huh? You don't know what I'm talking about. Hmm? Thank you. Pretty amazing. Did they just decide one day that they were going to overcome all obstacles and win Wimbledon? Practice, practice, practice. Messing up, messing up, messing up. Balls in the net, balls in the net, balls in the net. Serves that went out of bounds. Everything you can imagine went wrong for each of them. Over and over. And feeling this way, feeling distraught. Feeling I'm not getting any better. Feeling I'm going to be like this forever. This is practice. And so when you sit and you find yourselves 
caught up. How many of you have experienced that during a sitting? Something really kind of lurches up in ways that you'd rather not have to examine, thank you very much. Could I just have a nice period of samadhi? Well, actually, if you did, you'd be ignoring that avatar of Buddha. A lot of our zazen isn't about feeling good. I would say 99.9% of it is not about feeling good. It's about deepening our understanding so that we may find that in each moment's flash of our thought, wherever we are, in the zendo, on the line waiting to be checked out in the supermarket, in a traffic jam, wherever we are, there will grow a lotus flower. And each lotus flower will reveal a Buddha. In other words, you're already Buddha. And all that stuff that's in the way, that's based on your views of how things ought to be, is by practicing seen for what it is. Delusion and attachment. This reciprocal dynamic. Instead of being subject, she says, to a top-down authority structure, we participate in an interdependent web of being which enfolds us. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Even as you're struggling, you're in that interdependent web of being. Many of you know the image used for, as, as a way of understanding this law of dependent co-arising is what? Indra's net. Indra's net. So this Indra's net is all of these strands meeting, and at each meeting is a jewel or a dewdrop, sometimes dewdrop. My name is roll, roll, co, dewdrop, light. Or the other meaning of roll is revealed. So each, at each intersection of this vast net, the entire universe is a vast net of interdependence, at each intersection is this dewdrop or jewel that what? Reflects. Reflects, right? Reflects all the other dewdrops and jewels. There is nothing that is not being reflected. In other words, there is nothing that is separate. There is nothing that is independent in the sense of being separate. Once we understand this, once we see that our lives are completely interdependent, how do you feel about that? Even if it's an intellectual seeing, even if it's just for the time being, let's imagine. Let's imagine, okay? Everybody close your eyes and see this Indra's net. See what's reflected in your jewel. See who's there. Is anyone left out? Is anything you've ever done or ever will be left out? Therefore, how can we reject anything? 
How can we reject ourselves? How can we say we're no good? This interdependent web of being, dancing with the endless exchange of energy, which is our dependent core rising. After all, this is what we mean by true independence in a Buddhist way. When we start our morning service, we sing Atadipa. Atadipa. You are the light itself. Master Rinzai. Eidoroshi's Independence Day Teisho from Points of Departure. He quotes Master Rinzai, who says, by the way, this is an old translation, and the new translation some of you already have bought. It's in the Sangha store by Eidoroshi. Among all the students from every quarter who are followers of the way, none has yet come before me without being dependent on something. This being dependent on something is where we're all at. We're dependent on others' views of us. That's a big one. That's why someone feels, when am I ever going to be good enough? When am I ever going to be acknowledged for... What somehow, you know, there's an inkling there, right? That suggests there's an inkling of Buddha nature there. But how come other people don't see it? Well, because you don't believe in it yourself, right? There's that doubt. Can it really be? None has yet come before me without being dependent on something. Here, I hit them right from the start. How does he hit them? If they come forth using their hands, I hit them at the hands. If they come forth using their mouths, I hit them at the mouth. If they come forth using their eyes, I hit them at the eyes. Not one has yet come before me in solitary freedom. Solitary freedom, what does this mean? It means true independence that is based on clear understanding, clear insight of what? Interdependence, dependent core rising. As for myself, Master Rinzai says, I haven't a single dharma to give to them. All I can do is cure illnesses and loosen bonds. Cure illnesses means show them their ignorance. Loosen bonds means show them how entrapped they are by themselves, by hitting at those bonds. And Eidoroshi says, as for myself, I haven't a single dharma to give you means you already have it. How can Master Rinzai give you what you need, you already have it. 
You already are a Buddha, regardless of appearance or age, for instance. But many of us think, oh, I am so imperfect. If I become perfect, I can accept that. That's how our bumpkin logic goes. According to Rinzai, that's the very reason you cannot, as we say, get it. So, there's that Stones song, you remember? We all need someone to lean on. Remember that song? All need someone to lean on. We all need someone to dream on. But what do they also say? But what? You get what you need. You get what you need. This is again so profound. You know, we tend to make a distinction between what's found in uh, the Pratit uh, the Pratitya Samutpada Sutra teachings and Janis Joplin or the Rolling Stones. I don't listen to any contemporary music really much, but. You know, that's kind of where I'm coming from. And it's all there. It's all there. Get what you need. This is Bodhisattva's vow. You get what you need. This is the avatar of Buddha arising in the midst of turmoil. This is how our minds can shift. If we see turmoil or um, suffering, in more general word, as a great opportunity to see what it is we need to grow, to let go, to embrace this interdependent web of being, then, indeed, we can feel truly independent, truly dependent upon nothing whatsoever. A mind that arises, this is Diamond Sutra, right? That depends on nothing whatsoever. To cultivate this mind, depending on nothing whatsoever, is, if you want to put it that way, the point of our practice. So no matter how so-called negative situation arises, if you can remind yourself about that, you had another wonderful chance to cultivate the mind that depends upon nothing whatsoever so that we can really feel the blessed state of interdependence that we are all in, so that we can truly experience Atatipa, true independence. You are the light. You are this lotus unfolding, lotus flower of Buddha. So isn't this wonderful?
Therefore, we celebrate Independence Day. <laughs>